1: Hey everyone, welcome to the 321st episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patron Jonathan Mailer. We mailed him a hat, a student hat. We mailered him a hat and he emailed us a picture of himself wearing it on set. If you want a hat, go to patreon.com slash and you can get a hat and you can mail it to us and all that stuff. And I'm Warren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Low. And if you take a photo of yourself wearing a hat on set, we'll talk about it. Yeah. Not a guarantee, but a high likelihood. I mean, pretty guaranteed. We're not guaranteed that we'll talk about it on the podcast.
2: Oh, yeah. Certainly, privately. Definitely, we will. Yeah, but, but we will talk about it. I don't know it. if that's as gratifying for people who um, aren't us.
1: I mean, you know, Matt and I keep track of a who wore it best. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, we have a collage.
2: Anyway, I'm Matt Low. Here we are, 321. It's just <laughs> myself and Oren <laughs> catching up. We're talking about confidence in pre-production, but also production as well. And also, we'll have some catch-up. You want to just hop right into it? Let's do some catch up, buddy. I'd love to know. Uh,
1: maybe if you wouldn't mind telling me, what uh, have you been uh, working on lately? I don't
2: know, I don't know work I'm in post, man. I'm in post on so many things. It's exciting because, you know, it's been a minute since I've done the kind of like social media email blast, like, hey, check out my new work. And so that's kind of nice that I've got a few things that I'm excited about and proud of. Uh, coming. Wait, but Elipide. did you
1: do that or you're going to do that? I'm going to do that, but I have to wait for the projects to come out first. So here's the question. How many pieces of work do you think you need to do that email blast? That's a really valuable question because the answer is just one thing that you're
2: excited about, but I think you and I both are victims of being like, well, I like this project, but the next one is going to be really awesome and I'm already neck deep in pre-production on it. I'm so excited. So if I just wait until that one comes out, then those updates will be even better. And boy, that this next job is really going to blow people away ad nauseum, basically, rinse and repeat. I think it's better to just kind of like, if it's been a while, go ahead and update people. You know, that said, if you have something that's really, really special and your previous work isn't really indicative of the sort of work that you're trying to do next, then maybe you could sit on it. But I I certainly, am a victim of, trying to wait for the perfect project before I update people. And like, there's a lot of stuff that's airing right now that I haven't told anyone about.
1: I literally don't think I did an email blast like since 2006. It's exactly that. I'm like, well, I have these three spots. But you'll do a
2: Facebook post or you'll do an Instagram post or things like that though. Like, yeah, I think there's a, di- we're talking about two different types of posts. There's the thing of like behind the scenes, like someone on set, a slate, a shot from a monitor, stuff that's kind of happening in real time, which I think is good. But also sometimes I will bank until the project is out. And Mm -hmm. then the like six great screen grabs plus the spot sort of post of like, new work alert. So excited with the team from X, Y, and Z, shot by, you know, like the the kind of the big formal post that people like to do.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's the one that I haven't done since like ever 10 years. That's not true. That's not true. It's just not on email. You
2: do it on Instagram.
1: The closest I've come to that is, hey, updated my website.
2: Oren, you you regularly post breakdowns where you compare
1: the storyboard previs to the final piece. You said that there are a couple different types. That's the type that I do a lot. But the new work alert, like I've waited a year to, you know, gather all my work to show you all kind of like, mm-hmm. hey, put me back on your radar. I haven't done like... The blast of like, hey, here I am as a director, as opposed mm-hmm. to like, mm-hmm. hey, I did this interesting effect. Check it out. What and, about and the your, other thing I will post is, is like, like Orin. right. So my reel and my my website are like the two things where I'm like, hey, here's a bunch of work I did. And the other thing I will do is press sometimes. Like if like something I directed gets written up somewhere, I'll be like, oh, hey, got this cool mention. And I'll just do like an Instagram story or something that goes away after a couple of days. I would say we're maybe splitting hairs here, but regardless,
2: um, I'm excited to post the new work that comes out soon.
1: I guess I'm just saying, is that a thing? Because I, I get emails from other people. You know, Tony Franklin has been on the podcast a bunch. He's really good at doing that, like mm-hmm. doing the mass email. He has his like MailChimp list or whatever. Emails producers, emails other directors, creatives, podcasts, people he knows. It's like, hey, new work. And there's this journalist I follow. She writes for like American Cinematographer and mm-hmm. DGA Magazine and even like sometimes like Hollywood Reporter. And she interviews filmmakers and DPs and things. And she'll send out an email every couple months like, hey, here's the five articles I wrote. And it was so mm-hmm. fun to sit down with Steven Spielberg to talk about this or whatever. I don't know. For me as like a, a director, I have been thinking a lot about like how I should do this. And my approach was going to be to take basically all my spots from 2021 and 2022 have them all on Vimeo and downloadable links with good thumbnails and just email personal emails to like mm-hmm. the 10 different production companies that I work with.
2: I think the personalized update is really good. That's much better if you have the time. And if it's a short list, if it's 10 emails for sure, and you're copying and pasting a little bit and stuff, it does make me wonder if there's a generational difference. And that as two very young hip directors who are just, just, north of like maybe a a divide between people who find it gauche to self-promote and not you know younger filmmakers they're doing it constantly all the time so there's never a reservoir that's built up where the you know they're letting out the floodgates it's just constant you know what i mean whether you're a producer or a filmmaker dp all that, like there are people who are just always always posting and like you know it can be a little annoying to me but i think that i think you and i both would do better and not being quite
1: so precious with that basically what we share and what we don't share Mm -hmm. it's part of the job you know what i mean i love the casual like hey we did this cool thing on Mm -hmm. set here it is much more so than the more formal hey i'd love to show you what i've been working on this past year but i think that's cool that you're doing that and i I should probably do it too
2: I don't think it's going to be super formal. I think that the more casual it is, the less
1: thirsty it feels.
2: I guess what I'm just saying is that uh, I'm in post on stuff and I'm excited to show
1: people. So I'm going to Nashville Mm -hmm. and I'm doing my first shoot with this new company that I just signed to be on their roster. We've pitched on a few things. So this is the first one that we got and that we're going to shoot. One interesting thing about the campaign is that it's an extension of an existing campaign. So I'm kind of matching Mm -hmm. like the vibe and tone of. Something that was directed by someone else last year, mm-hmm. but we're using the same cast.
2: Which is not wholly uncommon,
1: right? For sure. Like I imagine if you're doing a target spot, there's mm-hmm. there's a very well-defined look, you know, big blocks of color, like shapes, really graphic. I'm sure they have different directors. The agency really likes the casting and also like the color palette that they used, the pacing. So there's a lot of things that I'm taking. But also the other campaign shot in LA, we're shooting in Nashville. There's a different products we're advertising. I'm in this situation where I'm really trying to make this my own. You know, I pitched against other directors. I won the job. I have like my version of this commercial, but also I'm fitting in with this pre-existing campaign. So I'm leaning a little bit on the agency to tell me things that they do feel are right for this campaign and things that they don't feel are right for this campaign. And on top of that, I'm working with a hundred percent new crew, new producer, new DP, new Mm -hmm. production designer, all Nashville based. And so when I'm working with them, I'm like, Hey, these are my ideas. What are your ideas? And I think they have some, are feeling pressure to bring a lot of ideas. So the Nashville crew is trying to, I think, impress me by like bringing a lot of ideas and their things. And then I'm working with this new company who has never worked with me. So they don't know how I prep. Am mm-hmm. I a person that goes into Blender and builds the entire set and does mm-hmm. storyboards based off that, even though we're already doing storyboards? Yes, but they don't know that. You know, am I a person that's going to like have an hour, two hour long call with the makeup artist and the stylist, and all those people about exactly how it should look? Probably not. So the topic I want to talk about is how important it is as a director and a filmmaker to be confident in the prep part of the job. So you already know you're going to shoot but you haven't shot yet and now you're meeting with your department heads and there's this balance between you steering the ship and saying like hey this is the idea and this is what we're going to do and this is the tone and this is the performance this is the pacing but also at the same time being open to like the dp saying "Ooh, what if we got a probe lens and we did the close-ups on the letters mm-hmm. with like this or the producer saying hey you know that probe lens we can't afford that unless you want to cut the steady cam mm-hmm. so you're starting to like juggle all these things. And I find when you're working with so many new people, sometimes it's hard to figure out when you should be like, no, this is how we're doing it. And when you should defer to other people. And this really came to a head when I was on a call yesterday with the agency. So the agency, you know, for those that are listening are people that came up with the idea and that chose me to direct it and they want it to be really good. And We had our production designer on the call too, because we were talking about which locations we should shoot Mm -hmm. at. And our production designer was talking a lot about like why he liked one location over the other and what we would bring and all the things we did, we would do there. And typically you don't have like the production designer, the DP talk to the agency, but we were, we were kind of have like a, having a collaborative session. But my uh, executive producer was texting me and saying like, Hey, Oren, this This Mm -hmm. stuff should come from you. It shouldn't come from the production designer. It's a little weird that he's kind of steering this creative conversation instead of you. Mm -hmm. And it's not that he didn't like what the production designer was saying or that no one was in agreement. But I think it was because they had chosen me to direct this thing and it was our first time all working together. He felt like I should... Be leading the meeting, and especially when it came to creative conversations. Yeah. So,
2: a couple things. The presence of the agency is a real different curveball. It's pretty atypical that department heads would be talking to the agency with you. Sometimes that's happened when. It's out of town and the agency is like, hey, we really insist we hire this production designer because they're the only ones that we like, which has happened to me a handful of times or, mm-hmm. or, or whatever. You know, if they know them on a personal level and they really were referred by them and stuff like that, that makes a little bit more sense. Taking a step back, you know, somebody once said like their approach to directing is that the earlier in those conversations they are, the less they talk and the closer you get to your shoot date, the more you talk. And I really kind of Who said that? Li- I can't I, like I don't that. remember who, but I love it. I know it's I I wish I could remember who, but it's like it's exactly right. And it, it, honestly, it could be Matt Barber, honestly. It could could we I could have learned it on this podcast. It's been long
1: <laughs> I've never um, learned anything on this podcast so.
2: But but you know, but I I think that, that that is uh really wise and astute. And I think that also as I've gotten older, I'm less worried about seeming like I'm in control or in charge, quote unquote, I want to hear what people say. And like, I say no, anytime I don't agree with something. And I think that that's kind of the way that I assert my authority, but I only say no, if I don't think that the idea is right, or if I have knowledge that supersedes that good idea, you know, but like, I want to bring the best out of the people that I'm working with. And so one of the best ways to do that is to show that you're listening and to embrace when they have a great idea. What's really hard is when you're around people who are maybe less experienced or just, you know, less secure, frankly, who think that the only way that a director is good at their job is if they are barking orders and being an authoritarian. I've been around directors who don't want to hear a thing from any other department head and they know exactly how to do everything right and they just kind of dictate and mandate everything and and they can do good work frankly and sometimes that's really valuable but i i've seen firsthand countless times that style of leadership leads to diminishing returns because the reason that i hire my crew is because i value them creatively i'm not looking for someone who's just going to follow my orders i'm looking for somebody who's going to bring something to the table and if you shut them down then they don't do that. They learn like, oh, Oren only lo- likes it the way that Oren likes it. And so he's just going to tell me how to do it. And I'm going to follow his directions to a T and then I'm going to move on to the next job. And they're not interested in offering. They, they You teach them that you don't want them to offer up ideas. right? And mm-hmm. so it's really frustrating when a person in power who it's important, you know, uh, thinks you're good at your job is like, hey, we, maybe you guys have... You're learning about each other a little bit more. But I think that honestly, as soon as it's like, oh, no, I'm going to put my foot down or, oh, I'm going to ask for something important. As soon as they see that that's your style, they'll snap to it, is my hope.
1: Yeah. Well, do you think it, it's a bad look for a director to not have an opinion on something? Like, let's say the DP's like, you're in a meeting, you have... Your client Mm -hmm. or your producer, you know, kind of important people. I want to make this universal, not just apply to commercials, but to Mm -hmm. short films, features, everything that you're in a pre-pro meeting and the DP says, hey, we couldn't get the master primes. Should we shoot on the Mm -hmm. Cook S4s that have kind of like a rounder, more vintage look? Or should we shoot on these Zeiss, whatever, so and so? Yeah, yeah. Do you think it's bad for the director to be like, "Uh, I don't care (laughs) Uh,
2: (laughs) or whatever you want? So, so I, I would say that whatever you want or I don't care are not great answers in so much as they don't inspire your crew. You know, they don't inspire confidence. They don't motivate people, etc. But it's important to caveat that I think that no matter how experienced you are, if you're not pushing yourself, you're going to come up against areas that are not you don't have experience in. Right? Like if you're you're continuing to grow, you're continuing to expand and flex, you're going to run up against that stuff no matter what, or you should be, right? If you're not, then I think there's a different sort of problem. So what I do when someone asks me a question like that where I don't know the answer, I'm okay with saying, you know, I'm not really sure, let's talk about it some more, but I think the better and more educational answer for people to take home is a version of, you know, I'm not really sure, but here's what's important to me about, in the case of lenses, the the look of the film. This is what I'm going for, right? Because your department heads are in, a, in many ways supposed to be the translator between you and the technical execution of whatever it is you're trying to do whether that's camera or whether that's construction or greens or acting or whatever right so it's okay for you to not know everything right but i think if you can in a succinct and clear way talk about the things that are important to you and then collaborate with your department head to get to the conclusion i think that's the best way to do it the difference between i don't care and i don't know is pretty vast or and i know for a fact you care about literally
1: every detail. And I do. There are many things that I'm not good at talking about. Makeup is probably sure, the most clear one when you're it, not an expert at
2: makeup, but you can say things like I want them to be appealing or I don't want it to call attention to herself yeah. or whatever.
1: Yeah. But usually I'm just like, yeah, just like, you know, the normal stuff, mm-hmm. guy stuff, powder, whatever. <laughs> Grooming. Yeah, yeah,
2: the normal whatever. It's kind of like saying hose it down to a DP, right? <laughs> it's not that it doesn't, they'll get the job done, but it, again, it doesn't,
1: it doesn't inspire. Yeah. Inspire. Right. I'm but again, pretty like sure most you, makeup artists are quite uninspired by me unless there's, sure. unless there's a very specific makeup thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I, but I think again, you can say like, you know, I don't
2: want it to call it too much attention to itself. I wanted to flatter them. You could talk about character. You know, there there are other things that you can talk about. I guarantee there are, are people, especially if they're really seasoned, you know, there's a version of a person who's like, Okay, yeah, you just want the
3: Yeah, commercial regular Pretty commercial look or whatever. Just yeah. say that
2: next time. Some yeah. people want to hear that. Yeah. You know, some people don't want to talk about the character. They just want to know
1: what they need to do because, you know. The costumers are the ones where you're like, I don't know, I was thinking maybe, so she's a mom, so maybe she's got like a cardigan and like maybe mm-hmm. like a tank top or something, like some jeans. And she's like, Okay, yeah, so the commercial uniform, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, just okay, just do that thing that you do in every commercial. It's okay to be a little self-deprecating about that if you're aware
2: of it. I will do sometimes the opposite where I'll like throw literally whatever I, like terminology I have up my sleeve from like... Project Runway from fifteen years ago when I watched <laughs> right. it, and I'm just like, like maybe like a crop gas. top, uh, poplin, yeah. like a hemmed, low like cut a Christian Siriano sort of look, and they're like, "Okay, dude, <laughs> yeah," um, which is equally bad, frankly. Like if if you don't actually know what you're talking about, don't fake it, because certainly they can tell.
1: Yeah, my thing with the wardrobe, what I've done, I think I've gotten better at talking about it, but I just I think of famous people and how they Mm -hmm. dress. And I try to use them as references or characters from movies or whatever. And so, and I will just go on Pinterest and look at people, you know, or GQ. And it obviously depends on, on the spot, but I tried to avoid dressing everyone like I dress myself, (laughs) (laughs) which is a very easy place to fall into as a director. Been there. I think the other thing that we're maybe
2: talking about a little bit is prep. If you need your makeup artist to get this person out of the chair in the next 15 minutes, you need to be prescriptive. You need to be crystal clear. The time for creative conversations was a couple days ago, right? If you're like, hey, we finally got our person booked and I'm going to hop on the phone with them real quick, you can talk about character, which I think is maybe the best. Like talking about story and character in particular, for the most part is going to be a good way to find common ground with any department and they're going to appreciate it because you're saying hey I know you're an artist and you're a storyteller and so we're going to talk about it on these terms because I don't have the vocabulary or expertise that you have but the closer you get to them being on a deadline the harder it is for them to kind of put that you know creative cap on and explore a little bit or 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 frankly to be uh, adventurous right because it's a real problem if you're like i'm looking for a free-spirited character and then they do something really elaborate and crazy with makeup that you haven't really approved and then all of a sudden it's a problem and they have to start from scratch and then all of a sudden they're the 80s breathing down their neck because they're 30 minutes behind because right. this look hadn't been approved or whatever you do that enough times and all of a sudden you learn like that's not appropriate either so but if you if you've Traded swipes back and forth, and like you know you had the chance or into Google's smoky eye and say, "Yes, that is what I'm looking at, or or you know, look up the latest you know makeup look for a character on euphoria and say, "Oh, I like this or that, or I don't like it. If you don't have the time to do that, then you kind of just have to default to like basic standard
1: you know the confidence in prep is something I've been thinking. A lot about obviously, you know, we're talking now about like makeup and wardrobe, which for me personally, those are things that are a little harder for me to talk about. And and I do kind of come right out of the gate and say like, hey, I, I'm not really good at describing this, but mm-hmm. this is you know, like you said, like the type of character I'm thinking of shot listing, which I feel like is one of the you know top five jobs of the director. Like today I was talking to our DP and I was like, you know, I, I want to track him walking over here. And then I was thinking like an overhead shot would be really cool of seeing like all these people doing this Mm -hmm. thing in sync with each other. And he, maybe he looks up the camera now, as soon as you want to do an overhead wide shot, you know, that's like a half hour, at least of a setup, right? It's probably more than half an hour, honestly. Yeah. Half an hour on top of like what just any setup would take, you know? Yes. Yes. I think it would look cool, but I'm not like a thousand percent sure. And so I'm starting to be like, well, do you think it's worth it? Like. And I and I feel myself like doubting my own opinion sometimes, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and then mm-hmm. and I'm worried again because it's the first time working with this DP. Like, is he like, oh, this guy is unsure of him, of himself, you know, mm-hmm. like how much do you think that stuff matters? Because I want him to be like, oh, no, this is awesome. Or uh, that's going to take us an hour. I don't know. Maybe we can get accomplish something similar from this other angle. Yeah. The, the problem is not.
2: I think you know that it would look cool. You're certain it would look. Cool. Yeah, I, I just from what you've described it, it would look very cool. The, that's not the question. The question is really like, is it worth it? Because right. You well, know because we, you have the big picture. Right? Yeah,
1: and this is more specific to commercials because we know when we do a 30 second commercial, there's going to be some stuff we shoot that never makes it into the cut, mm-hmm. and you don't want that thing that you spend an hour and a half of your 12 hours. Or ten hours or however many hours you get shooting mm-hmm. to be that thing that does not get into the edit and well, at the expense of everything else. I,
2: what's your schedule like? Is it it's 1.30 in the day? No, we're
1: shooting three three spots. But three, one of them three 30-second three spots in one day? 30-second spots in one day, but one of them is like the hero spot that my plan is to spend ten hours on we have a twelve hour day. My plan is to spend ten hours on the, one of the 30s that has six different like scenes mm-hmm. and then half an hour on each of the other 30s, which are basically one setup. Someone like standing mm-hmm. at like, a projector mm-hmm. and explaining something to someone else.
2: You can't be afraid of something not making the cut. That's going to happen. You don't have a ton of control over that. What you can be afraid of, what you should be afraid of, is compromising every other shot many of which if not all of which will also be in the cut Mm -hmm. and so if it's like you get one awesome shot and then seven kind of shitty ones because you spent all of your time on that one awesome shot that's a problem whether it makes the cut or not Right. and what we're talking about is something that's so different from the rest of the spot
1: that it's going to just take a lot of time to set up. Yeah. And just on a side note, what's funny about this shot specifically is that it actually came from my conversation with you Mm -hmm. where you said, Hey, I noticed in the campaign before they had a lot of interesting angles, like unique angles. angles. So I'm kind of trying to find a unique angle for each scene, which by definition is just time consuming, you know? So what I was going to suggest, specific
2: to this problem, and then we can get more universal again. Shooting techno the whole day, living on the crane, and then getting that shot becomes easier because it's all in the same world, more or less. You mentioned there's a lot of tracking. There's this, this, and that. Like it, maybe it sounds like a techno shoot to me.
1: Well, I I pitched it as a mostly handheld shoot. <laughs> And it kind of mm-hmm. matches the other aesthetic, and I I am actually kind of excited about the handheldness of it all because mm-hmm. there's like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a stretch, but there's like kind of like a docu feel. It's this guy taking us on a tour through this space. Okay, so then if that's the case, then the the move is
2: get yourself like a cherry picker or something where you just like your camera operator is still operating handheld, and you just get them up in the
1: air. Yeah, we might do like. The DP had suggested like a Movie on like just a, a yeah. jib or something. Yeah. like um, Or even like on a, you know, menace arm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right.
1: I guess the specifics here aren't that important as much mm-hmm. as this idea that I think we, we fantasize that the role of the director is like someone that comes in and it's like, that's it. We're going to put the camera here. We're gonna do this. They're gonna walk over here. They're gonna do this. They're gonna give this performance. You're gonna give this genius kernel of an idea to make this scene like ten times funnier, and then you're gonna have the edit worked out in your head, and it's gonna be this perfect thing. Yeah. But in reality, I think every filmmaker is a little different. Like maybe someone like you, you come in and you're like, "This is the game of the comedy, and this is and this and it, okay, you want to shoot on twenty four instead of thirty two because we see the c stand. That's fine. Like, and maybe yeah, sure. I come in and I'm like very much want the move to I want to feel the, these two things on the side because it'll give it, you know, the, yeah. it'll make the, the camera move feel Move the feel camera better. or move yeah. the C stand. Yeah. Yeah. But then I'm not as specific about like, okay, so the, like the continuity or something like his name tags on the wrong side, who cares? Like, let's just shoot it. I'd rather get, get this thing. Right. So I think maybe something that you're saying is like the longer you do this, the less worried you are about, <laughs> about looking confident. That's a little bit of it. I don't want to
2: come off as though I don't. I always feel pretty confident that what I'm aiming for is what I like. I I feel like I have that level of experience where I feel pretty good about these decisions. Almost always. Sometimes I'll be like, eh, is this the right move or not? But like, but it, it doesn't shake me as much as like, I, f- I truly hate it when someone doesn't think I know what I'm doing because I'm not barking orders. Because because I feel like confident and listening, listening is confidence,
3: you mm-hmm. know.
2: Because you're still making the decisions, but I tr- I really does get under my skin when someone is like, "Well, boy, this guy can't make his mind up," and i like, "No, I know exactly what what I want," but there's potentially a better answer on the
1: table, and I'm going to listen to people and and then make my mind up. I'm like the opposite. I feel like because I. I'm always like trying to be very specific and telling people like this thing and that thing, you know, and I want this and I'll do this. And can't you just Mm -hmm. put the boom pole on this? Can't you stand on an Apple box? Can't you do this? And I'm always like trying to pitch technical problems you know or solutions sure. to anything i think
2: of you all the time when when like put the trailer outside this door
1: cuz then people can pee and go over here
2: like i'll know? do that yeah 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 sure I, sp- I think when you're younger also when you don't have an ad you're like okay well if we put this there and that there and then the ad is like yeah
1: i got it go think about the shots <laughs> right but in reality i'm like you know living in that dunning kruger effect uh, mm-hmm. thing you know where like when i was first started out as a filmmaker I was just so confident, you know, and I'd, and I'd be like, oh, and then we're going to dolly in here. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Because I was trying to make like Tarantino films or whatever, you know, I mm-hmm. was and as soon as something looked like something that I liked, I felt like I was doing a good job. And then the more I just learned about all the ways you can make films and commercials and shorts and all that stuff, like the more. I'd be i I just started questioning myself, like why am I putting the camera here and not here? Why am I walking and not moving? Why, Mm -hmm. like this spot I just finished the one I told you that the color is kind of crazy on. It has a lot of static shots, and when I was like conceptualizing how we're gonna shoot it, I'm like, yes, that like it's gonna have this rhythm, and it's like real precise, and the compositions are specific and static, and. Now I watch that spot, and I'm like, oh, I wish the camera was moving the entire time, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've fallen into this place where like I know what I like, but I actually like so many things, so many things. Yeah. And uh, it, so, it's hard to focus on to figure the out. Beauty you know, the beauty of short thing.
2: form stuff is that you can say, "I want to try this style, this look, this tone for this commercial, and maybe that becomes my style forever, or maybe. I move on to something totally different on the next one. And so to me, having the guiding philosophies of being clear of like, this is what I want tonally. And that starts in the the treatment stage. You know, the question is not, is this a good idea or a bad idea? It's does this plus the overall philosophy of what we're aiming for or not? Does it contribute to it or does it detract from it, right? That tends to be my guiding philosophy. But all of that is like a very... You know, utopian idea of what it is to direct, and like I, I feel like I'm not giving uh, credence to the realities of personalities and anxiety.
1: Yeah, and schedule and all the and limitations. Yeah, things but, going uh, wrong and totally, totally performances that are off. And clients I, I think that, that the the, the
2: philosophy takes care of schedule or any of those kind of logistical things because you're still like, okay, well, what's the closest compromise that I can make. What you're talking about with the confidence thing is like there's that, but then there's also being second guessed
1: by people and yeah. that. Including yourself, which is the to sure. me, like I actually don't mind being second guessed by a, and other people because I'm fairly confident in like my answers. I'm like, yes, we're gonna do this and this is we're gonna edit here. We're gonna get, But to me like especially in commercials, like my the biggest thing I'm constantly worried about on set is will this cut? you know mm-hmm. will this shot cut to this shot and in a feature you can take two totally disparate shots that have nothing to do with each other crossing the line different lighting different everything if you just sit long enough on one shot and then you cut to the that next shot and sit long enough on that shot and you have some music some intention behind it it works you know mm-hmm. but in commercials when you have 29 frames to get this line of dialogue, show this thing and land this joke. It's all about, is it going to cut or is it not going to cut? And the more creative you get with your coverage, the higher the chance that it won't cut. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I I mean, the other thing that
2: I think maybe gives both of us confidence, but I think especially you is that you've thought through it all. Like mm -hmm. unlike literally anyone else on set, including the agency people, you know like doing all that previs and doing all that prep means that like again you can hear many many good ideas you say no to the ones that don't fit because of whatever big picture or technical reason that you understand because you know that it's 29 frames for this one shot and someone pitches a very cool idea that's going to take 35 frames Mm -hmm. it has to be a no yeah
1: Yeah. You know, from from that standpoint, I feel good, but I, I sometimes get worried that it has to be a no because I'm doing my overhead shot, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that nobody asked for other than me. (laughs) A good
2: friend of ours and producer still gives me a hard time about a shot that I really, really
1: wanted. Oh, the dolly shot. It was a long dolly shot and they were like, Hey, you're not going to use this whole thing. It's a commercial. You can't do a 10 second dolly shot unless the entire commercial is a 10 second dolly shot.
2: Yeah. And I was like, you can cut out sooner, which is what we did. But they were right. Do you know what I mean? It was a long dolly shot.
1: Also, we made our day. Also, this producer, she teases you because I I feel like it's less of like teasing Matt and it's more she's making fun of like all directors, you know? (laughs) in that statement yeah yeah boy directors and their dolly shots maybe maybe a little bit of that
2: i think it's a little column a a little column b
1: yeah well there's this thing we want to put our stamp somehow on on Mm -hmm. a commercial and it's either going to be a performance thing or a casting thing or blocking thing or camera movement or composition and so when people are starting to like cut all those things we have to fight back a little bit you know You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: Let me ask you a question on this confidence topic. Have you ever been around a person who is so confident in their own opinions about your work (laughs) that it makes you and they're in perhaps like an authority position. Maybe we're talking about creative directors or an EP or some sort of producer basically, or a screenwriter, you know, even a DP, I think, you know, people, people who are kind of like, uh, you know, above the line, basically, um, who just are like, you're wrong. And here's why you're wrong. And they say it with such fortitude that it causes you to question yourself. You're talking about while you're making the thing, or after Just you made Just in general, it? that that sort of uh, personality is a is a fascinating one to me.
1: I mean, I feel like I know people like that, but I can't think of anyone. I'm around people like that sometimes, and
2: it will take me like that grade school thing of like getting insulted on the playground, and then you know, laying in bed at night, you you're like, you're the duty head. <laughs> Why didn't I say that? You know what I mean? Like, like I need a second to collect my thoughts and be like, no, this is why I wanted to do it this way. And I just was flustered in the moment when you questioned it.
1: I mean, the only two things I can think of from the top of my head that people have complained to me about that made me feel weird is one, how much of a take I do. You know, like I I Mm -hmm. tend to like to shoot the entire thing from every angle as opposed to just the words I need. Uh Oh. coverage yeah but that's not that common but the thing that i've had on set and is the is the thing that where this comes the most is in performance like if someone is just not delivering a line the way that Mm -hmm. someone is expecting them to you're saying maybe a client heard it
2: or a writer heard it a certain way in their head and Mm -hmm. the person is not delivering
1: it exactly that way yeah yeah and they'll come and they'll be like, that's, they're not saying it right. You know, they're, mm-hmm. and you're like, well, how, how, it sounds right to me. Like, what is bo- bothering about it? And they can't articulate it. And then you have the actor do uh, the same line like 85 times. And then you're like, try to give line reads. And then the whole, everyone is sweating and mm-hmm. the whole shoot falls apart. Happens every time. Just to talk about the acting thing for a second, because
2: that does bother me very much because you're like, the script's bad. <laughs> no, well, I, I do find. If a writer is blaming an actor for a joke not landing, 9 times out of a 10, 99 times out of 100, the joke's just not sharp enough. Like it's almost never the actor's fault if the the joke is just
1: flat, you know. Yeah. Or sometimes if, it's like a visual joke and it just you just don't have the resources to pull it off on screen, you know. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. If a joke is or just any sort of beat whether it's
2: emotional or supposed to be funny or surprising or whatever. If it's contingent exclusively on a very precise line reading, then I don't think it's strong enough, frankly, because, and you never have time to like educate someone on your own philosophy around acting on set when you're arguing about whether or not the line is good or not. But to me, a good actor, quote unquote, is a person who can bring an authentic emotional read to whatever line it is we're talking about in whatever tone the piece is in. So if it's a heightened piece and you're doing something totally naturalistic, that's the thing you have to talk about. But if you're doing a heightened thing in a heightened piece and it's authentic and to that performer, and it's not landing, that's probably the joke's fault. It's probably the writer's fault. That's a conversation that you certainly you can't have on
1: the day in the in the heat of the moment. Do
2: you see what I'm saying or no?
1: Yeah. When I'm worried, you know, obviously I'm constantly worried about every single thing. But when I'm worried about a line or a joke not landing, I try to come prepared with like an alt, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is a tactical move, actually, because I think that's exactly right. And if I
2: know like if you're in a commercial situation, I won't cut and then I'll treat it like improv. I'll be like, try this out and then throw the alt at them Mm -hmm. before I've cut so that it kind of keeps them at the video village at bay before they can run over and be like, they're doing my line wrong.
1: You know, I also sometimes you can like throw them that alt and then try to get them to do the original line the way Mm -hmm. they did the alt just because Mm -hmm. you just give them a line that's super on the nose, you know, or something that. It just helps them understand the joke better or something. Yeah. And I'm not above
2: giving someone a line reading. I just am like reading it the way you want it read. Most of the time doesn't fix the problem. It's not funnier. It's just the way you heard it in your head.
1: It's all in the casting. That's why the Mm -hmm. auditions are so, so, so important. And that's why when you are fighting with someone that wants to cast someone that like looks right, but is not doing the performance the best you need to pushback. I did just have this realization about this confidence thing that I'm talking about and how important it is to be confident in prep is, I think for me personally on set, I am very confident. Like I know what the plan is and how we're going to accomplish it and what to move and what looks good and what doesn't look good and how to talk to the actors and how to talk to the clients and all that stuff. But I guess most of my hesitation, my nervousness and anxiety does come in prep, because when you're on set, you've already made the plan and this is what you're going to do. And mm-hmm. it's more or less signed off on. And you know the plan better than anyone. Yeah. But in prep, it's when you can still change everything. Mm-hmm. You could change the dialing, you could change the casting, you could change the location, you could change the camera or the coverage or the wardrobe. And so it's having all those options that I think maybe is what it's hard to be confident about. and. Potentially like the most important thing that we keep coming back to is being confident in knowing that there are a lot of options and knowing that you'll have to choose an option. And maybe it's not the, the best one or the funniest one or the most original one, but it's the one you chose. So it's the one you're going to do. And, and then just by making that choice, you'll have the confidence once you're, you're actually on set to shoot the choice you made. Right. So confidence, it's good for being on set. Don't Mm -hmm. worry about it and prep. That's my conclusion.
2: (laughs) It's funny that you wanted to talk to me about this because I feel like you're one of the more confident directors I know. Yeah, I don't know. It's we talk to so many directors. You're more worried about like looking like a nerd because you wore the wrong thing
1: (laughs) than you are like, oh, is this going to cut? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, on set, I'm not worried I, the the confidence issue isn't on set. It's it's before set. And we talked to so many directors on this podcast and in life. And I watch a lot of people's work, you know, every movies, TV commercials. And I am so curious, you know, we had Tony Ascend on I, I, some of his work like on Dave and stuff. I just think it's so good um, in some of his music videos and I, and we tried to extract from him, like how he comes up with his shots mm-hmm. and he mm-hmm. never really gave us an answer that I found satisfactory <laughs> at least. Um, <laughs> and I realize I'm realizing now that all, every time we talk to a director, they've already shot the thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So they, there is no doubt in their mind because yeah, they're on they a shot. podcast to talk about yeah. why what they shot was shot the way they shot it. Um, and so, you know, if I look at my old work, I'm like, Oh yeah, this is why I shot this. Yeah. Maybe I would have done this a little different or this a little different, but this is what I shot. And I'm pretty confident in the choices I made, but I guess all the, all the question marks are leading up to the shoot. So that's, that's where I'm second guessing myself a lot. And maybe I should be doing it more privately than on a podcast in front of thousands (laughs) of people. But hopefully it'll make other people feel good about second guessing themselves, yeah, 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 for sure. It, everybody I think gets caught off guard with a a question or a term you know that that's something I think you never need to be nervous about is not knowing terminology yeah it's just sure. it's just being able to make the choices that is the the thing as directors that's basically what we work on is having an opinion and having taste and being inspired Mm -hmm. and also kind of like you said, like coming up with that overall approach. So when someone is like, do you want this scientist to wear the lab coat or the button-down shirt or the uniform? Mm -hmm. You can say to yourself, well, you know, we're kind of like making reference to these like 50s movies, so let's go with the lab coat, because that's what they would have done. The final
2: thing of like the overall approach is that sometimes other stakeholders will let their personal taste kind of seep into the project. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but like if you're doing a 50s send-up with two scientists and an educational video, but someone's like I don't like the look of lab coats because they look square or they're like a clunky silhouette or whatever. Yeah. All of that could be true. Or the DP's like I don't want white things on right. The screen. Right but the bottom line is that's what they wore in the videos that you're referencing. right. And so look you have to be a little diplomatic on it but you know um kind of you know the person whose taste matters most is the directors and then everything else. Like that's kind of why you got hired. So well, Oren, keep your chin up. <laughs> I'm, I'm, te- I'm teasing. I know you're not actually that nervous about any of it. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen all your prep. It's fucking dope. You don't need me to tell you that. But it is a good thing, I think, for, for listeners to, to think about and talk through and yeah. process a little
1: bit. A- and if you're ever not sure about a choice you're making, just realize n- no one's ever sure. Just make a choice. Anyhow, do you have anything to endorse? Yeah, let's jump into unpaid endorsements.
2: Unpaid endorsements. So the first thing is something I just got on Amazon. I did the thing where I got uh, advertised this on Instagram. And then I was like, I bet there's a cheaper version on Amazon. And I was right. I got myself a headphones hook. So it clamps onto my desk, just kind of like the same way, you know, like our mic stands or like a desk lamp clamps on. Looks like a little vice grip, but then it folds out. And has like a little hook on it, which is designed specifically for the size of my headphones, which is friggin' great. But I always wear like studio headphones, and I'm on Zoom all the friggin' time, so I use headphones nonstop, and they're always just kind of like clanking around on my desk. There's never a good place for them. They're on top of the Zoom mixer half the time. It's just like a nice little organizational thing to have the the a place for them now. I'm trying cool. to be a more organized person, and the part of the trick is like having a good place to put the stuff that you have.
1: Yeah, no, that's a really good one.
2: My second one is an article that I will admit I have not read, (laughs) but I have read via proxy because my wife is obsessed with it. It's a Vanity Fair article called how Grey's anatomy writer, Elizabeth Finch used lies to create must see TV. And it is a long form article about how this woman was leading multiple lives Lying about herself to become a very established network television writer. And it is crazy balls, bananas. So she wrote on Grey's Anatomy and lied about having had cancer. She was pretty obnoxious and like long winded and would like take over control of the room and tell all these stories. And everyone was kind of like, well, we're going to just kind of suffer through this because this. Poor woman is dying, and these could be her last words. Uh, but it turns out she was just a big old liar and also was in a relationship and had told that person a totally different story about her life, neither of which were true. But it's pretty crazy, and also, like, talks about how, you know, you'd think that they she was like a mastermind who would keep these worlds separate and stuff, but like she just like let them mingle, like was sloppy about lies all the time she'd be like oh i'm i'm sorry i can't come into work i have chemo and then like have facebook posts on the same day where she's like somewhere else she's like on vacation like a really truly sloppy lie it's this is not a catch me if you can sort of situation but with really crazy big lies the story is in vanity fair you can check it out scene stealer the true lies of elizabeth finch kaplan what you
1: got i got two bad ones Ooh! And one is I got one of these new Mac Studios. Mm -hmm. I got the base, the base model, except with like the extra RAM, 64 gigs of RAM, and the bigger hard drive. As listeners know, I'm a big believer in getting a big hard drive on your Mm -hmm. computer, (laughs) and it's pretty cool. Uh, I told you this already, but the one thing I will tell listeners that's amazing about it is that it is silent. It's this computer you put it on your desk, and it makes no noise. I have an iMac that makes 10 times as much noise as this computer. So it's kind of nice to have a super powerful computer that doesn't make any noise. And if you are a user of the Adobe products, Premiere, After Effects, all those things, they just updated them all to use uh, the Apple Silicon, like the M1 chips, uh, the M1 Max, the M1 Pro, the M1 Ultra. I think everyone will start noticing some really impressive performance improvements if they get uh, some of these new Apple chips.
2: Very exciting.
1: So my other thing is if you want a bunch of COVID tests and you don't want to pay 20 bucks per box, if you have any health insurance, there's a really good chance that they're covered. You can just go to like CVS and I have two kids and a wife and we get four boxes per person. So that's eight tests. So between the four of us for free, we can get, you know, 32 tests from USPS. I think you can get eight free tests right now.
2: I think that's eight per uh, household address. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So no regular human ever needs that many COVID tests unless you have COVID or just part of your household like us. Only the adults have COVID. I've tested positive for COVID and the kids have not. So we're testing four people every day. So if we had to pay for all those COVID tests, you know, that would be hundreds of dollars. But yeah, you can just go to any pharmacy and just give them your insurance info. Hopefully if you have health insurance. And uh, they'll cover a bunch of free COVID tests. Well, awesome, Oren. I'm glad you're feeling better. You sound good, nice and strong. I've been feeling fine this whole time. One of the things about having COVID is that people just text you every day and they're like, how are you feeling? And you're <laughs> like, I'm fine. You asked me four days ago and I was fine well, then. I'm fine I'll now. I'll say this.
2: I, I have like a good number <laughs> of people I know who have COVID right now. We're definitely in the middle of a surge, at least in Los Angeles. And there,
1: there's a pretty big range. A big and, range you know, of like how people are feeling? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure you can like, you get sick. Um.
2: Yeah. Well, well, and I think we are in a, a sector where people are testing with a way, way greater cadence, faster cadence than anyone else. Like Because it's like, you, to be on set, you have to test all the time. And so mm-hmm. some people who are feeling fine and probably wouldn't have tested and wouldn't have noticed are realize they're positive. And then there are people who are like, oh, my God, this is the worst cold I've ever had in my life. And, uh, you know, everything in between. Anyway, uh, keep in touch with your friends, everyone. Show them that you love them and just listen to the ways that they're responding.
1: Just like Uh, my Facebook posts. okay? that's that's enough.
2: (laughs) Now we all know Oren's love language. Well, this episode (laughs) was brought to you by our very many patrons. It was wonderful. Thank you all for supporting the show. If you want to learn more about the show, you can go to JustShootItPod.com. But you can always tweet at us across all social media at JustShootItPod. And you can tweet at me at Mr. Matt Enloe.
1: And I'm on Instagram at O'Kaplan. I'm on Twitter at SmiteyPileg. This episode was edited by Noah Bashore. The music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazzar. And leave us a review on iTunes. We know you don't want to be doing whatever the next thing you're supposed to be doing is right now. So mm-hmm. just go to iTunes, procrastinate, leave us a review. We'll read it online. and It'll make us very happy. And thank you for listening. We appreciate it.
2: Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more